Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. Last week I started the show by saying how we'd just come off a rare quiet weekend with, with no ranking events. But this week I, I can sort of start by saying that the weekend just gone was a busy one. There were three ranking events across two different countries and of course had the return of the British internationals. I'll dive into all of that action, recap it, give my thoughts, uh, especially on the, the lack of streaming from the British internationals. But I'll also be doing some looking ahead as well, because this coming weekend, there's a lot going on. Got the World Seniors Masters at Lakeside, the Nordic Cup over in Sweden, and there's an associated WF singles ranking event with that as well. And there's the Oregon Open out on the west coast of America. There are two guests on this week's show and they're both involved in upcoming events this weekend. That's David Cameron of Canada, who's playing in the World Seniors Masters, and Halle Eggelson from Iceland, who's playing in the, the Nordic Cup. Before we sort of get into preview and review, and we'll dive straight into my chat with David that I recorded at the end of last week. David and I spoke about his career to date so far, his eight previous lakeside appearances, qualifying for the Seniors Masters while he was here in the UK for the WDF World Championships, looking ahead to his outing at Madison Square Garden in the PDC World Series next month and his goals for the rest of his career. I'm now delighted to be joined by Canada's David Cameron. David, how are you? Good, thanks. Doing hanging there. And lots of darts here and there, so it's good. It's good to have you on the, the show Obviously, you've got a busy few weeks coming up with your appearance at the World Seniors Masters and the US Darts Masters over in New York as well. But before we get into that, something I wanted to ask you, how did you actually get into darts in the first place? Well, through growing up, uh, it actually, my uh, we had a house and I just played with my dad there a few times growing up and then uh, I ended up joining a dart league. I didn't really play anything as a youth. I never got into it then. I got into it later. But anyway, I played in the dart league around 25 or 24 years old. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of went on from there. And then some guy said to me, said, why don't you try your regionals? I didn't know what anything was. And he says, okay. So we figured it out. Went on to there. Uh, went on to provincials after that. You know, played for province Nova Scotia. Did that a few years. Finally, I got beaten there a few times for sure. And then on the way... And the next thing you know, I made the Nationals there one year, and it was just, ever since, it's been amazing. In Nova Scotia, where you're from, what was the, the dart scene like when you first started playing, and how does that compare to what it's like now? Uh, it kind of maybe through phases. I don't know if you can put it that way, but it's, uh, you know, like when I when I was starting to play and you're learning the game and stuff and, and seeing people play, I mean, we had, throughout the years, in my opinion, we had some great players through all the decades of darts, and we still do today. Um, you know, there's great competition here. Just a lot of the guys don't get the opportunity to travel and participate, stuff, right? So, but we did. We definitely have some great players for sure. And how challenging is it in terms of expense and time to actually travel round Canada as you've done for a number of years to all the different opens across the country? Uh, it can be expensive, but if you're winning a bit and, uh, you know, it's, you can kind of cover your cost and you share rooms with other people sometimes, you know, to, to cut the cost down and things like that. But but for the most part, I think I've been pretty successful with it. Uh, so I can't really say it cost me a lot. And as I said, I got some good sponsors behind me, too, that helped me out along the way, right? So, yeah. So you've been a regular 
over on these shores for you know the last decade, a regular in the World Championship and some of the other bigger BDO events. And people will have seen when you've been on TV, your shirts and your nickname, Excalibur. What's the story there? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking like everyone seemed to have a nickname there along the way, and I said, you know what, I got to come up with something, maybe something different. I'm surprised nobody kind of took the name, I guess. But when I researched it. Uh, you know, the the sword and everything, the way it was talking, it was about truth and honor and all this stuff. So I said, you know what, that seems like a pretty cool name. Nobody got it, so I'll give it a, give it a go. And uh, yeah, so I had that for a while now. <laughs> you made your World Masters debut in the, the late 1990s, but your first WDF ranking title was the 2011 Canadian Open. Do you remember that win as a big breakthrough moment for you? Yeah, I mean, when I... I, I can say uh, it was, you know, at that time for sure. Um, and, I mean, it just seems like sometimes things just snowball and they kind of get better. But you, everyone goes through ups and downs with the game, of course. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that there was a big win for me. And, yeah, you know, something I can reflect on all the time, yeah. Since then, as you say, the snowballing, you've won, I think it's almost 30 titles now across America and Canada, are there any ones that you can point to and say, you know, that that win was particularly memorable or particularly special for for a certain reason? Nothing really too particular. I mean, every win that you get is obviously a good thing. Uh, It's a good feeling at the end of the day, you know, especially when you look around in the room of players that are normally there, which there are a lot of good players at times. So, you know, so so any win at all to me is, is a good thing, you know, you can say that uh, you know I'm I'm the champ for that day. So, <laughs> and, and in some cases, the champ the following year when you've come back and defended the title as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, hey, you know, I, I don't know if I did anything really back to back too much, but you know, I've always put in. You know, I've I've been around quite a bit still to you know to make a good mark anyway along the way. Yeah. And you've been a regular for the, the Canadian national team, representing them in the, the big WDF Cups. You've had a couple of sort of big individual successes. The first of those, you won the American Cup singles eight years ago. What are your memories of, of that win over in the US? Oh, I mean, it, you know, it's it's always fun to, you know, to go down and play things like that. It's, uh, you know, and we have a good team. And there are some good players that show up there as well. I mean, it's nothing I wouldn't say that is, you know, really, really, you know, tough, tough. But it's, uh, it's, it's, there are some good players that, that could win it for sure. And it, it was my day at that time, yeah. A few years ago, the last World Cup we had, you and Jeff Smith won the pairs. And I remember watching some of your games during the day. You were both just absolutely flying. Was that, did you guys feel unbeatable during the day, given the way you were playing and the ease with which you were beating people? Yeah, uh, I cannot say it was. Uh, we we both looked at each other before we even when we knew that we made it. We said we knew we were going to play with each other, and uh, yeah, I mean it's just we got there and we we uh, we just got into a groove and it felt it felt great. Uh, said I know what Jeff can do on the board. He knows what I can do on the board, and we just said you know what? I, I told him I said I got your back. That's all you need to know. And like I said, we were almost down and out there. Germany, I think, almost knocked us out, but they missed anyway. We just prevailed. But uh, but yeah, man, it, it was an amazing time. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think we're, we were a good team for sure. Absolutely. And if I sort of turn the attention now to, to Lakeside, where you've 
been a regular, you've played there eight times. Your first appearance was 2014, and for your debut, you got drawn against Martin Adams, the three-time champion in the first round. When you saw that draw before you were coming over, did that ramp up the pressure for you? You know what? I, I tell a lot of people, like, I, I, I don't... I, I think I got more intense than anything on the stage. It's not so much nerves. Uh, it's more of an intensity thing. And, you, you, I don't know, I just I want to get up there and get the job done. But, as I say, you learn as you, as you go. Uh, you know, and it's, it is what it is, right? You're going to you're gonna run into good players and uh, you have to deal with it, right? So it doesn't always work out. Yeah, for sure. 2019, I think, was probably when we saw the best of you. You beat Andy Hamilton, you beat Gary Robson and then pushed Kyle McKinstry very close in the last 16. From your perspective, was that the best and most confident you'd felt on that stage? Uh, I think around that time, yeah, like that really... I tell people that uh, I felt like I belong there now, which is good. Um, you know, you got to, and I've learned over the years, obviously, you know, to step back sometimes, take a drink of water, and just and start to play the game like you would normally do anywhere else. And I uh, said, I definitely learned from that. I felt good, felt confident in the guys. And I think most people around here know what I can do, uh, you know, seeing me through tournaments and different things. It's just uh, when it shows up on the stage it's it should be good and, uh, and it will happen for me i believe again mm. and i suppose something that i'm going to touch on with you um you were saying that you felt like you belonged in 2019 in previous years was there an element of sort of imposter syndrome for you that you didn't feel that you you were on the same level as some of the other guys there uh i think possibly a little bit uh you know, say when you get your, you, you kind of walk on the stage and stuff for the first time, it's kind of looking around, you're trying to absorb everything. And, you know, and just, but as I say, you just got to try and uh, figure it out on your own, of course. And, yeah, and, and learn to deal with it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, over time, it's just, I'm kind of a shy guy, I think, in a sense. And that's probably why I felt the way I felt, you know, it's, then I feel better now, you know, with experience. So, yeah, so it's good. Now, we saw you at Lakeside last month playing in this year's world championship but the events that had qualified you were over two years beforehand when you actually came over in, in april how prepared for the tournament did you actually feel i mean i've been playing you know practicing way for sure so i definitely felt good i felt prepared i felt 100 percent confident uh but of course the game can be funny sometimes it can just it can go ways where you don't expect it to go, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did. I felt great. But the guy had one dart in his hand. Uh, I fought back. I had it in my hands, you know, to to take it back and win it. But I gave it away. I made some mistakes, of course, but that's the game. And um, he had one dart in his hand. He took it out. So, I mean, that's, you know, that is what it is, right? And you just move on. And having been in such a, a commanding position in that third set, to then lose, was that particularly disappointing for you uh it, it always is when that happens because you know that you can perform better so i mean you just kind of I, I usually just take a few minutes and you just kind of talk to yourself a little bit bitch about it if you want to say or whatever but and, and but you got to get over it because you can't go back and change it uh you need to move forward and just try you know and, and try and do better and it was a bit different this year because we had expanded fields for the men and the women, and there were four Canadians, which is the most they've had, and I think possibly ever, or at least in a very long time. 
was it nice for you that you know during the week that you were there you had a number of you you know your countrymen and women with you rather than just being the lone representative as you have been a couple of times oh absolutely i mean it's always great to see your your buddies and stuff like that being around you and you know you get to hang out with them and cheer each other on it does make a difference because you know we're we're all friends here at home i mean we live far apart from each other but we can we always see each other here and there, so which is good, right? But uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's definitely a nice feeling to have people around. And uh, despite that defeat to Ian Jones, it ended up being quite a successful week for you in the end because you went down to Reading and won the, the qualifier for the World Seniors Masters. Had you always planned to enter that qualifier while you were over here? Well, my plan originally, when, uh, when the WDF was supposed to happen, January, I was going to go to Q school, I think, after that. Uh, but, I mean, they changed with everything going on, which is fine. But, yeah, and then I heard that it was the following weekend. I said, I'm the right age, so I may as well give it a shot and see what happens. But uh, I think this is a good door that's opening for uh, people 50-plus, and uh, I think this could be pretty, uh, very successful in the future. And am I right in thinking that you actually got an Uber from Lakeside to the venue in Reading to play in those qualifiers? I did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it was funny. Like I said, I had a guy there. I was only, I was hoping to just do the one day, which worked out well, and I did. And then I did not have to go back on day with me, so, yeah, so I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> and I mean, in that qualifier, you played really well. You, you know, you big averages all day, consistently the, the most impressive player there. In the final, your level dropped slightly, but the guy you were playing, Paul Hogan, seemed really to struggle in that final. Did the fact he wasn't playing his best, did that did that help you or, or did that hinder you in a sense because you weren't getting the, the pressure that you would have expected? Well, as I say, when I talked with all day, uh, and uh, I mean, just the semifinal was, my, I think, was my toughest match against the guy there. Uh, he had a chance to, to win, but he missed. I took it up. Uh, yeah, I've been going in the final ball. I like, okay, see what happens. Because I know Pop played well at the time. And then I just got to jump on him, and I could feel himself. You know, he, he was getting down on himself. That's how I felt. So I just said, okay, I'm just going to just keep pushing forward and, and just do what I can, right? You can't feel sorry for anybody. So I'm on the line for sure. And you'll be in action next weekend at that World Seniors Masters. You've got Kevin Painter in the first round, and then if you win that, Robert Thornton, who won the World Seniors Championship earlier this year, it's going to be a, a tough route if you want to go all the way. But what did you make of the, the draw? Well, hey, you know, as I say, it is what it is. What the draw comes out to be, and as long as you have, an, as long as you're there and get to play, you have an opportunity. And I look at those guys have to beat me. I don't have to beat them. So if my game shows up, and I believe it will, because my the last little while I've been shooting really well and uh, feeling good. So, yeah, so, so we'll see what happens on that day. Hmm. And when will you actually be heading over to, to the UK? Uh, I'm actually flying over uh, this Wednesday coming, and uh, I'll meet John Park there. He's, he's He'll be there Wednesday. We're going to share a room together. And, yeah, so then we have a day to kind of relax there Thursday and throw a few darts and get ready. And then, yeah, so I think we both play on Friday evening. So, yeah, so it should be good. Absolutely. And I guess... Where you are in Nova Scotia is only four hours behind the UK, so it you know it's certainly better than if you were on the west coast of Canada. But how have you found jet lag and, and the impact of that in the past when you've been over? 
Uh, honestly, you know what? I never really found that affecting me too much uh, that I can say. Uh, if I'm tired, I just go to sleep. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the way I look. Because I used to work night shift years ago. And, you know, I used to go play tournaments along the way. And, uh, you know, so you're you're going, you leave, you're up all night and you're leaving Friday. You don't you, you don't sleep. So then you're heading to a tournament and you stay up till near midnight again. So it's just when I'm done, I'm done. It, you know, it just when you're tired, you go to sleep for a while. Hmm, absolutely. And you mentioned that you've been playing particularly well. That was obvious just over a week ago, the the first CDC weekend of the year kicked off with the, the US Darts Masters qualifier and you absolutely blew through that to get in. How much are you looking forward to playing in a in a venue as historic as Madison Square Garden? Oh, I mean it's always it's always a great opportunity, you know, when you get to go play like Las Vegas, but definitely I think Madison Square Garden is going to be my first time there, yeah, so I look forward to it, and I heard it's going to be a pretty nice venue, so. Hmm. Are you a a big boxing fan or a wrestling fan? I kind of, I watch it, I don't really watch it too hard, I guess you can say, but I mean, you're always checking stuff out in sports and different things, and if if it catches your eye and if it feels exciting, then you watch it, right, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I was just going to say, those are the sports that are most synonymous with MSG, so you're going to be, you know, you're going to be playing darts in the in the same building, you know, as Muhammad Ali fought and that kind of thing. Which I suppose, I guess, for a lot of the players, is going to be a sort of a weird pinch me moment that darts is now in that same realm. Oh yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely like say something look back and reflect, and say yeah, you know, you can see you know who was here and there and stuff like that. So it's definitely pretty cool for sure. And they haven't done the draw yet, but is there anyone of the the PDC players? Is there anyone there that you really want to play? You know what? Uh, looking at the whole group of uh, people that are there, uh, doesn't matter. I mean, everybody's playing well. Like I said, I think we got guys on our side that are playing well. So I think there's going to be great matchups no matter who plays who. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is. Whoever they draw, I'm just I'm going to give it my best. So absolutely. That weekend also, you've got the North American Championship with a spot at Alexandra Palace for the winner of that. Is qualifying for for the PDC World Championship, whether it's through that tournament or through the CDC Tour, is that your priority for this year? Yeah, that's kind of my goal. The last couple of years, I I got close to kind of competing with Matt there, Matt Campbell, and he he just got the best of me there a couple of times, but knocking on the door... And I definitely, that is kind of my goal, uh, is to get the PDC Worlds next time. Uh, so I'm just going to keep on, yeah, just keep pushing forward with it and, and doing what I can. With the WDF events, there aren't too many scheduled for, for Canada this year. I think there's only three or four more. Uh, I know you've played one already, the, the Shediac in, in New Brunswick. Are you planning to do the other ones as well, if the, the calendar will allow? schedule and see what see what i can fit in there i mean it'd be nice to have that opportunity again if it doesn't work out for one that i chance to go to another uh so i mean i'll see uh the canadian open i think is another one which is in june as well uh, i haven't really had plans to go to that so we'll see what happens beyond that i guess but uh yeah i'm just i'm gonna focus on the cdc as hard as i can right now for sure though hmm. and were you to to get into that PDC World Championship or, uh, you know, Lakeside or, or whatever it is, will you be looking to try and do that Q-score appearance next year? 
I say if if I'm there, uh, I'd I like to do it all kind of together if I can. Yeah. So I mean, I just I you know I work full time too, so it's hard to spend a lot of time over there. Mm-hmm. But uh, when the time comes, I'll definitely look in, look and see what happens and see how I feel and uh, and see and see what transpires. I guess yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is the the full time job for you then? I'm actually a uh, lumberyard manager supervisor uh, for a uh, for a home improvement company. Hmm. If you're in a sort of senior position, you can't afford to be coming over here for you know three four weeks at a time to play in all sorts of competitions. Yeah, I mean they're they are good. To be, I've been with them for quite some time now, and they've always worked around my schedule, which is good. You know, I, I let them know I have where I'm gonna when I go, and yeah, I mean they've always been pretty good. So so far so good. Anyway, so we'll see. And at this point in time, for you looking ahead to the. The future. What would you say are the goals that you really want to achieve before you say this is my darts career finished? Uh, as I say, get on that PDC World Championship stage. Maybe be that fairy tale story and uh, win it. You never know. Uh, definitely. Then then look into playing the the seniors. I think thing for a while. Hey, uh, I think that's something that's going to be good and get off the ground really well. And there's definitely going to be some opportunities there. That can only grow as far as I can see right now. So, I mean, that, that's a good thing. But I still have a lot of fire inside of me to win and, and get better. So as long as I have that, I'll keep playing. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today, David. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best. got a busy few weeks coming up. But if you play as you have been, you're going to be very much a man to watch. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed chatting to to David. He's someone I've wanted to get on the show for quite a while and it was nice to sort of get something worked out and get him on. And I really enjoyed hearing him in, in such good spirits and positive ahead of what's going to be a very busy few weeks for him. He touched on this in the interview, but I think it it's worth saying again. I think if he plays like he did in the World Seniors Qualifier and in the CDC Qualifier for that, US Darts Masters, okay, the, the floor is different to TV events, but if he plays like that, which is his top game, he could be on for a really deep run in the seniors and maybe an upset or two at MSG and potentially on top of that, a deep run in that North American Championship, maybe winning it and getting that spot at Ali Pali. I think if you look at the seniors, he's obviously got Kevin Painter first and then the winner of that has Robert Thornton. So that's a, a horror draw, really, when you look at some of the other the ties elsewhere in the bracket. However, whoever comes through that little section for me, Cameron Painter and then the winner against Thornton, whoever comes through that, in my view, goes all the way to the final because I think having beaten the calibre of opponents you would have had to to win that mini section, you're going to be peaking at a higher level than, than anyone else in that bracket that's not to do other people in that section a disservice like a Terry Jenkins or a Colin Monk or a Richie Housen but I just think that Kev, David and, and Robert are playing at that level right now where those guys are probably the favourites in my view. David's played in one WDF ranking event this year the Shediac Open in New Brunswick lost a last leg decider in the last 16. There are only four other Canadian events on the calendar at the moment so if he's going to get to the, the World Championship, he's probably going to need a, a deep run in one of the silver ones, the Canadian Open or or the Klondike later in the year. But if things work out, the North American Championship, the CDC, and he gets to Ali Pali, 
he's got the ability and he's got that stage experience to do well there and I'd I'd wish him all the best because he's a lovely guy and absolutely deserves that opportunity. Moving away from him and on to the British internationals, that was the focus of last week's show. I had a really nice catch-up with Nick Kenny. The event took place from Friday to Sunday in Merthyr Tydfil in Wales and England did a clean sweep across all four categories. But before I get into the, the games, the particular highlights, I have to address the complete lack of streaming from the weekend. I remember there being no streams at all for the Celtic Cup. I think it was 2018, maybe. And the national body saying after that that they'd commit to streaming all those events like the British Internationals, Celtic Cup, Six Nations in the future. Now, this is the first one, as far as I know, that's had nothing. And I know that the the Welsh Darts organisation put something up on their website saying that it was Wi-Fi issues that were the reason there was going to be no streams. Wi-Fi issues do happen, I get that and I appreciate that, but you do have to wonder whether the venue and its capabilities were tested sufficiently in advance. I don't like bashing the federations or organisers too much because they are all volunteers and they all do a tremendous amount of work to make sure these events run and run as smoothly as they mostly all do. But there was the signal in place to run the Dark Connect consistently uh, all the way through the weekend. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that you know because they could do that, they could easily have done the streaming because it might have been that the bandwidth wasn't right or whatever, but you do have to, to wonder. Um, one option I thought they might have looked at doing was actually still recording the games because you would have assumed all the, you know, the camera setup was there to record the games for the live stream. One option they could have explored was to record all of those games and then upload them to the Tri-Nations YouTube channel or the Welsh Darts YouTube channel at a later date. I very much doubt that's been explored, um, but it would have been an option. Ultimately, the lack of streaming is not the end of the world, but it is disappointing. It is disappointing in 2022 when we are seeing places like the, the British Open the Scottish Open, the Welsh Open, they're all using Dark Connect, they're all trying to progress with the technology, so then to see the streaming element slip off completely is disappointing, and I think ultimately the event suffered for it because they did such a good job to sell it out, I think there was genuine interest from people following that return of sort of amateur international darts. Quality was there to watch, to back up the interest that people had, and ultimately they couldn't watch it because... The stream didn't work, so you could follow the Dark Connect scores, but for an event that lasts all weekend, that gradually becomes, not tedious, that's not the right word, but it becomes far less enjoyable as a fan, a little bit more frustrating, particularly when there's a Euro Tour on, or you you had a dramatic final day of the Premier League, that kind of thing, people are just going to watch other things, whereas if the stream's there, then you're going to get more of that casual interest and retain interest over the weekend. So as I say, it's not the end of the world, but it's certainly very disappointing because I think if they'd had the stream, the weekend would have been a a complete success because all the posts you've seen from the players, as you would expect, have all been incredibly positive about how well the tournament was run, what a great weekend they all had. I've tried to share as many I've I've seen as possible, but yeah, the, the, the streamer would have been the cherry on the cake. And I think ultimately at this point in time, streaming is seen as a minimum requirement even if it's just for you know in a ranking event it would be for the finals it's it's seen as a 
it's not a nice extra anymore or a nice bonus. It's seen as a minimum requirement as part of the, the weekend. Uh, so to not have it was deeply frustrating. Now, in terms of the, the action, though, I don't want to be too negative. England were the dominant force that I expected they would be in the youth competitions. And then in the seniors, it, it was weird because they were very dominant in the women, which I had an inkling might happen. And the men's, I think the score lines make them look very dominant, you know, 10-2 against Scotland, 8-4 against Wales. But particularly in that meeting with Wales, there were a couple of the games that, that Wales lost that were 4-3. Now, if they go the other way, you're looking at a draw. Obviously, they didn't, so England won. But 8-4 can look like a very dominant scoreline, and it might not have been. And as I say, that, that Wales-England game was really, really competitive. But starting off at the beginning of the weekend, England beat Scotland 4-0. Uh, in the boys without dropping a single leg. Overall, in the boys, I think the, the standout performers for me were Thomas Banks. Uh, he posted two 80-plus averages. Uh, and also Archie Self. Um, Archie's a, a really little lad, um, sub five foot. But he's a quality player. I've heard good things about him from, from people who play local league and stuff with him. Yeah, I think it was his opening leg against Ewan Halsall from, from Wales. He, he, he pinned 139 to leave 160 and then took it out, which was ended up being the highest visit of any kind in that fixture, England boys against Wales boys, which was really impressive. So, so well done to him. The girls was a little bit closer, though. So England beat Wales 2-0 and Scotland beat Wales by the same scoreline. And then England's game with Scotland was a one-all draw. Paige Pauling beating Connie Brown and Sophie McKinley coming from behind to beat Amy Evans. Uh, ultimately, England won because they'd got a better sort of leg difference through the other fixtures. But it was close, and I thought Sophie McKinley for, for Scotland played really well. So um, props to her. I thought, you know, she's a good player. She's definitely up and coming and could be a contender for that Girls World Championship next year at the, the WDF Worlds. In the women's, England absolutely breezed to victory, won a total of 11-1 across the, the weekend. They beat Wales 5-1 on the opening night. Uh, the only win for Wales was Rhiann O'Sullivan. Uh, she pinned a 75.15 average in a 3-0 win over Natalie Gilbert. And then on the Saturday, England played Scotland and won 6-0. Uh, very impressive, uh, that 6-0 for England. I think the, the lady of the, the tournament was Lorraine Winstanley. She averaged over 80 twice during the weekend. Um Played some really good stuff. And her game with Lorraine Hyde against Scotland was a proper cracker. Both players averaged over 80. When Stanley won 3-1 in the end, but it was a, a tight game. And it was nice to see on the Sunday Natalie Gilbert, after she'd lost against Wales in her debut, get a win back when she played Lindsay Ward in the Scotland game. So that was nice to see. Uh, the other women's game finished 5-1 to, to Wales. So a difficult weekend for Scotland. Their only winner of the weekend was... Emily Davison, who beat Anne-Marie Potts. But it's worth mentioning uh, Lorraine Hyde. She played incredibly well and lost to Lorraine Winstanley and then played really well and got absolutely no reward against Rihanna Sullivan, who beat her 3-0 on average, just under 84. So, yeah, Scotland's record didn't, didn't look too great, but you would have to think if Lorraine Hyde had played anyone else in the England team or the or the Wales team, she probably would have got you know at least one win, maybe two, and then suddenly that record looks a bit better. So she deserves some credit, but also well done to Emily for getting Scotland's only win of 
the weekend. In terms of the men's, that kicked off with Wales against Scotland. Scotland came back from 4-2 and 6-4 down to secure a draw. I think the best game in that Wales-Scotland match was Devi Bynan against Jamie Bain. That was a proper good back-and-forth tussle, which Devi won 4-3 in the end. Uh, and in terms of individual performances, I'd say words go to Nick Kenny, the guest on last week's show. He beat Danny Truman 4-0 with a 95 average. And Di Rogers from Glamorgan, who posted the highest average of all the men's games during the weekend, a 97.55 in a 4-2 win over Dean Carr. England's men didn't play until the Sunday, but they kicked off the day in impressive fashion, beating Scotland 6-2. As I said, they raced up 6-0 in that one before before getting the 10-2 the win in the end. Scotland's two winners were Alan Small, the captain from Fife, and Danny Truman. They beat Josh Richardson and Paul Milford, respectively. Pick of the averages in that game was Scott Williams, who would go on to win player of the, the weekend, um, but Luke Littler and Neil Manier, Neil Manier from Cornwall, done some very good stuff in the GDL. They both did some good on their debut. That meant that England versus Wales, the last game of the weekend, was the title decider for the men's, which I'd tipped on last week's show. Scott Williams got England underway with another 90-plus average uh, in the first game. He beat Andy Orker 4-1. Sam Kankett levelled it at one all, beat Dave Ladley, so Sam went 2-0 for the weekend. Uh, but then England won six on the spin to seal victory. Um, the word on Josh Richardson, he became the first player from Northamptonshire to play for England, uh, and then he became the first to win when he beat Cavan Phillips 4-3. Uh, Justin Hood got a 93.9 average in his win, but uh, you know, special mention has to go to Luke Littler became the youngest ever senior international for England during the weekend and took out 1-2-5 to seal victory over Alex Small, which put England 6-1 up, which meant that they were guaranteed at minimum a draw with Wales, which coupled with their 10-2 win over Scotland, uh, it was that 1-2-5 that sealed England victory in the men's and obviously by virtue of their, their performances earlier in the weekend an overall victory, so... Tremendous work for, from Luke, and I'm sure that's a moment that's going to live with him for a long time. Uh, Wales pulled it back to 8-4 in the end. Debbie Bynan, Liam Meek, Nick Kenny all winning their games. Uh, but England were winners in the end and, and worthy winners based on how they all played. The next international tournament for England, Scotland and Wales will be the Six Nations, which takes place in three weeks' time, the 16th to the 19th of June in Scotland. Uh, hopefully that will all be streamed. And I'm pretty sure something that will also be streamed is the Nordic Cup, which takes place this upcoming weekend in Malmö, Sweden. The Nordic Cup is a competition that involves Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Finland, and this year for the first time, the Faroe Islands. To talk more about the Nordic Cup, Iceland's prospects and his career in darts is Iceland team member and friend of the show, Halle Eggelsen. I'm now delighted to be joined by my fellow athlete, Hallie Eggleson. Hallie, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Andrew. I'm very good. The main reason I've got you on the show this week is to discuss the upcoming Nordic Cup, which you'll be playing in for Iceland. But first off, how did you actually get into darts in the first place? Uh, of course, I was working in a picture from what, two and a half decades ago, something like that. And we had a dartboard cup. Then we were playing there, uh, lunch breaks, COVID breaks, and a 
saw the dashboard, so he was playing, and he gave us the name of the manager of the Keflavik Iceland Daft League, which was held in the NATO base, next to Keflavik Airport. So it started out as a hobby at work, and then it escalated a little bit. You got into it, you know, you say two and a half decades ago. Have you played consistently since then, or were there some gaps in that time? Consistently, but uh, my what can I say? I haven't taken it, taken it uh, seriously always. Hmm. Some years I've just been there just to throw that and then nothing more. And it it wasn't until 2011 that I really started to yeah take it seriously. Hmm. Then I started to train properly, train with. Yeah, dedication and uh, with some goal in mind. So what was it that led you to sort of have that change of attitude about 10 years ago to actually say, no, I want to I wanna get better and I want to compete at a higher level? I was elected to go to EuroCup in Turkey. So, and I wanted to do better. Hmm. Not just to come and pass me. I want to so that first appearance for you then for Iceland, what, what were the standout memories of that tri- trip to? T- oh, well, it was not my first appearance for Iceland. It was I had played the Nordic Cup before since '98. Hmm. But things changed there in uh, 2011, 2012. Hmm. I, I started to train differently. I started to focus more. Started to take that more seriously. And you've played at Nordic Cups, Europe Cups, World Cups. What have been your standout memories of, of playing in the Iceland shirt? I have many good memories, many good friends. I met, well, I met and I played against an old hero of mine, Paul Lim, in Romania, 2019. That, for one, is very high on my list my experience and just what a fantastic guy he is and I met him in Singapore a week later because I was going there for work oh wow yeah, I played there with him he was playing uh, sub-tips world championship something like that <laughs> what, when you first sort of started playing you were saying that you know the, the Keflavik league was played on the, the NATO base out by the airport what was the darting scene like in Iceland then? Was it quite small at that time? Uh, compared to today, it was small, but compared to 10 years ago, it was quite big. Hmm. We were playing, the airmen and the staff from the NATO base that were playing there also. Guys from Iceland, they came there because it was fun to go to the air, air base and it was summer smokers and could buy cheap cigarettes and cheap beer. As mm. you know that alcohol in Iceland is quite expensive. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. the NATO is closed. Most of these people, they stopped playing that. So, so. Okay. And then obviously it, it's had a, a resurgence more recently with all the, the live streaming and obviously the, the bullseye venue in, in Reykjavik, which is quite amazing, really. It's fantastic. Yeah, to be there to play there, it's 
amazing to go and to do something like this. Because when they opened the bar last in Iceland, there was just nothing going on. Hmm. But then again, when we had the venue, people came. And in, in all the years you've been playing darts in Iceland and going overseas, what would you say has been your proudest individual achievement? I played with the Icelandic national team in Nordic Cup 2016 when we managed to win a team, managed to win bronze. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. And uh, same year I played in. Not year after that, I played in Switzerland and I got bronze there in Pears. And 2015, I played with Jim Williams in Turkish Open in Blind Throw. We won that tournament. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, very nice. And I'm sure your, your win in the Icelandic National Championship a few years ago is probably up there as well. Yeah. Of course it is. 2016. Before that, I had been playing quite good. Hmm. But I never managed to the deal before that. Now, we've got the, the Nordic Cup coming up. <clears throat> well, when this goes out, it'll be at the end of the week. How does the Nordic Cup, typically, for people who don't know, how does the Nordic Cup work and, and which nations are involved in the tournament? We have the... We have newcomers now in the Nordic Cup. We have Faroe Islands. They're coming in for the first time. Then we have the Scandinavian countries like uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark, and Iceland, of course. So it's going to be six teams. We will play the team events. I have the, the schedule here in front of me. We have the team events. We play that in groups in the round robin. Mm-hmm. And we have, for the first time, playing the pairs also in the round robin. And then we play singles event, which is just straight matter. So it's very similar to the sort of the WDF Europe Cup World Cup format. It's, it's same program, same program. Okay, very nice. Now I've had a look at the Icelandic team, um, but what what can you tell me about your teammates that you'll be playing with uh, at the end of the week? Who are the players we should be looking out for? I mean, he is, uh, in my opinion, yeah, one of three best Icelandic Duff players ever. Hmm. Along with Guðjón Hugsson, which is, again, in the national team. He played last time in uh, 96. And then Ole Sigurdsson, he used to be uh, the best in Iceland back when I was starting. Hmm. But he's not playing anymore, unfortunately. But yeah, Matti, and then Vitor, he is capable to, of anything actually. <laughs> he just does what he needs to do. If he needs to throw a 55 average game and win, he does that. If he needs to throw a 75 average game to win, he does that. And if he needs to throw 85, he does that and wins. So you should never count him out. Yeah, 
No, of course. And uh, I saw there was a, a conversation on the when uh, Live Darts Iceland posted the team out. Is one of your players, Torgir, is he actually 77? He was born in October 1944. Wow. He definitely doesn't look that age. He's doing very well. Well, he looks good. I mean, <laughs> he's got his silver hair now, but a few years ago it was dark. Mm-hmm. But, but he still can kick, us, kick our ass, so, so mm-hmm. he, he should be there. He deserves his spot there. Mm-hmm. Playing, he's playing pairs with his friend, Guðir Hugsson, mm-hmm. and I can believe that they are capable of anything. Mm-hmm. Because Thorgeir is that kind of guy, he is, when he needs extra motivation, when, he, when his, uh, his will to win, well, like uh, like he did uh, against Jim Williams, he needed big fish to beat him, he took it out, 170. Who are you playing pairs with? Vitor. Ah, very nice. We've been partners uh, since 2015 in Turkey. Very nice. And uh, I've seen that uh, the Nordic Cup's going to be on Dark Connect this time, which is really, really good. Will there be uh, streaming during the weekend as well, do you know? I think there's going to be streaming. I was looking through... Um, I've been waiting for the draw to be released to the Haven. Here on the page, they have third-party streaming, so I hope so. Well, I assumed with Matty going, I assumed there'd probably be some cameras somewhere, but I wasn't too sure. <laughs> I believe Matty's going to take his stuff in so. I suppose it's difficult in these sort of competitions because, that you know, Swedish team is very strong, uh, especially in the men's this year, the Swedish team is very strong. But for, for the Iceland team, what would be a successful Nordic Cup. What what results would make it a successful tournament for you guys? Mm, that would be an overall team medal. Hmm. We know we know we are capable of anything. We have strong teams. In Finland, twenty eighteen, we were one double away from an overall bronze medal. So, and we want to do better. Now, I'm sure you'll be practicing between now and then. Are you someone who practices a lot during the week, or is it more of a you'd rather play competitive games in a, in a dark club or whatever? I'm one who would rather have good competitive games, hmm. but I of course practice, and I practice usually alone or with me. Hmm. Because when I practice, I am. I try to be focused on what I'm doing. I try to start by getting focused before then I throw for scoring and checkouts. And it's uh, all in my head. I count everything in my head. So and uh, I know at the end of the, the Nordic Cup, there's a WDF-ranked competition. You've played in the two WDF events this year in, in Iceland. The, the International Games, which was a brilliant tournament to attend, and the Iceland Open. Uh, you got to the last 16 of both of those. How would you assess your performances in those WDF events this year? Failure. Just one word, failure. I mean, I had strong opponent in uh, Scott, in 
the international games, but I, in the Iceland Open, I think I've done better. Yeah. So I'm not happy with my result. Well, you have a good opportunity in Sweden to put that right. Yeah, that's my plan. But, yeah, that's a few days from now, so we'll have to see. And something I have to ask, uh, me and you were chatting during the international games, and I found out that you're an, an Arsenal fan. How how did you end up being an Arsenal fan out in uh, out in Iceland? Uh, my brother he was a Liverpool fan. Hmm. Uh, this, this is back in 1977, when he just moved to Reykjavik. And I remember Arsenal played against Liverpool, sometime in Adera, and beat them. <laughs> and I decided that Arsenal was a better team than Liverpool back then. <laughs> so I started to follow them. But as a five-year-old kid, who knows nothing about football, well, I stick to it. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. As a as an Arsenal fan myself, I I, I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you guys play. I remember I spoke to to Ingebjörg a few weeks ago, and she was saying that there are a lot of competitions going on in Iceland at the moment at you know various clubs or ranking events or, or whatever and I know you won the Grindavik Open a, a few weeks ago now is that a big tournament in Iceland? It is but they they didn't hold it for a few years hmm. they lost their uh, clubhouse back in 2015 or 16 and actually I was the last winner of the really cool. I hope one day they will do it again. Yeah, definitely. And I, I suppose it was a, a sweet victory this time as well because it was quite a big comeback from you in the final. Was it Was it 5-1 you were behind before the winning it? At the semi-final. Uh, I was 5-2 down against Gullion Hoekson in the final. And I managed to come back and win it 6-5. But the sweeter win was in the semi-final against Vitor. It was 4-2 <laughs> They came back and I threw him out 5-4. Five, five, <laughs> he was not, not happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that sort of, you, you talking about the entry to the, the Scottish Open, I know a, a number of Icelandic players do tend to come over for that. I suppose that leads me on to the, the next thing. It was announced earlier this year that the top-ranking Icelander on the PDC Nordic and Baltic Tour would get a place at the the World Series event in Denmark. Does that make the PDC Nordic and Baltic Tour so? Does that make it much more of an incentive for you know yourself and Matty and the others because there's that carrot, if you will, of the World Series place? Actually, this is something we've been hoping for for a long time. Uh, Matty is. Number one prospect, as we'll see in June, 
how we will fare in Finland. But when me, I, Vitor and Ayer Björnsson, when we started to play in the PDC Nordic Baltic tournaments back in 2016, we always was looking for a goal that to appear on the PDC stage. And finally that's happening now. For sure. We needed to be more players to attend. Because usually just me, Victor, Ayer and then Peter uh, Thorker and some occasional players coming along. You know, obviously Iceland, you know, it's an expensive country to, to travel to and it's expensive, you know, cost of living in Iceland is quite high. Yeah. Is it expensive for you guys to, to travel around not just Scandinavia, but, but to wider parts of Europe if you want to play in the bigger events? We always have to take one extra flight and one extra day off before and after the tournament. Because flights back home, they are... Uh, usually, when, because now we are going to Finland for PDC Nordic Robotic for tour event, uh, we have to fly back on a Monday. Hmm. So, not for one, extra hotel night, extra day off from work. And the same thing, we are going to Finland on a Thursday, day, one day before. Hmm. So, these little things, they are very costly. Hmm. Yeah, of course. And especially, I imagine as well, you know, airport being in Keflavik, it's not super close to, to Reykjavik. And obviously, if you live further afield than that, you've then got a long commute when you do get home. Yeah, but thankfully, the road to Keflavik is decent. Traffic is not so big, so that's not usually the worst thing. We have a flight, for example, when we go to Sweden, we have a flight at 6.20 in the morning. So we have to leave 3.30 from Reykjavik. Hmm. Even, even earlier, so. Hmm. Yeah. so. You are just jet-lagged yeah. when you land. Beyond the, the PDC, Nordic and Baltic, and obviously the, the Nordic Cup, have you got any specific tournaments on the, the horizon for yourself for the rest of this year? Yeah, everything. 
And I suppose sort of in a, in a broader sense, are there any specific goals for yourself that you have that you you know you can point to and say I'd love to be able to do this thing or I'd love to achieve this my main goal is to see an Icelandic player on the PTC stage that's number one that's what I've been working on for the past six years and of course I want the player to be me <laughs> but if it's going to be Matti or Vito I'm going to be happy for them, but I support them, of course. But, um, and uh, Matti, he is most likely, but, but I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to, if, if I'm going to face him in the first round, I'm going to throw him out. <laughs> That's my plan. Thank you very much for your time today, Halley. I really appreciate it. It's lovely to, to catch up again. Hopefully I will be out to Iceland next year for at least one of the, the tournaments. It was uh, brilliant earlier this year, but uh, I wish you and the, the rest of the Icelandic team all the best for the, the Nordic Cup and uh, hopefully you can come away with at least one medal between you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Anton, my friend. Perfect. I hope to see you again. So, what tournaments are you playing in this year? So if I have some time and money, I could come. Oh. Now, I this I do not know. Uh, <laughs> well, you say playing. I'm not sure the people who watch me on the stream in Reykjavik would have... Okay, attend. Yeah, attending. Um, yeah, I was the one English person in Reykjavik who didn't win anything. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm looking at sort of maybe Hungary or Ireland later in the year, maybe one of the, the England ones as well. It's annoying. A lot of the tournaments I would like to do are at my busy period uh, with work so it's a lot harder for me to sort of take the time off but Ireland worked out well for me last year it might work well for me again uh, this year but I know that one's quite expensive but uh, I will definitely let you know and uh, maybe we can play pairs if uh, if you don't mind carrying me <laughs> yeah we could do we could try it yeah yeah cool there we go well thank you very much Ali It was lovely chatting with Halley and I very much look forward to the event where me and him end up playing pairs. Although maybe playing's a bit generous given that he's going to have to more or less carry me. But uh, watch this space is all I'll say. There is a dedicated Nordic Cup website uh, with all the teams and information and stuff. And you can see from on there there are sort of well-known names and talent everywhere. But if you're looking it and trying to pick winners based on consistency and depth, then you'd be looking at the home nation of Sweden. Their women's team, their, their quartet in the women's, they've got Anna Forsmark, who's won three WDF competitions this year, Maud Janssen, who's won one, Vicky Prum, who is a you know wonderful player, been on the show earlier this year, played at Lakeside, and she won a, a local competition in Birmingham this past weekend, and then Susiana Hogval, who's been travelling around with Maud Janssen and the and a fours mark this year and been playing well as well. So that's a very strong quartet and definitely the strongest overall. Finland have got Kirsty Vinikainen, who's won ranking events in the past. Uh, Norway have Ramona Eriksson, who I would argue on paper is possibly uh, on her day the best woman there, or at least one of the best two or three. Uh, Berit Schau for, for Denmark's a good player, and obviously Iceland have Ingebjörg 
Magnus Dottier, who was on the show a few weeks ago and is their number one and has been for, for a few years now. But, as I say, Sweden definitely look the strongest, and that's probably true in the, the men's as well. They've got Ricky Nauman, who's been playing well in some WDF events over the last nine months and has played well in the PDC Nordic and Baltic in the past. Andreas Harrison, who was at Lakeside earlier this year and missed all those match starts to beat Laszlo Kadar. Edwin Torbjornsson, who won ranking event in the Faroe Islands, as did Henrik Schoberg. And then the rest of the team are all very solid, all guys with international experience. Beyond that, I think if you're looking at probably that the, their strongest rivals, you would say that's the Danish team. They've got Andreas Toft-Jorgensen, who obviously has been coming on leaps and bounds in, in recent years. Per Larsen, incredibly experienced. Simon Back, or Simon Back. Uh, who I've heard a lot of good things about from Martin Hawkins, who runs the, the Dartistic account on Twitter. And then Brian Locken, um, who played really well this past weekend in Lithuania. I think he got a semi-final and a quarter-final. So he's obviously in good nick as well. Finland. Finland have got a couple of really decent players. Pavel Miller, Marco Cantella, Yanni Keskinauskas. Uh, but I think probably they lack the depth. And to be honest, looking at the teams, I genuinely do think Iceland have got a very good chance of picking up that bronze that, that Halley spoke about. Obviously, I'll be, be rooting for them to, to do well, since I know quite a few of the people in the team. Um, but it should be a really interesting event. And fingers crossed with Matty there, there will be some streams. And then at the Nordic Cup weekend, finishes with a singles open, the bronze-graded Nordic Cup Open. At the time of recording, there were 64 men and 23 women registered. Uh, obviously, that's all of those playing in the Nordic Cup, or at least most of those playing, plus uh, a few local Swedish players. So, um, likes of Dennis Nilsson, who's not playing in the Nordic Cup, but he is playing in the Cup Open. He had another good weekend in Lithuania as well, just like Brian Locken. Dennis got to a semi-final and a final, and obviously he's always really dangerous so he might be the man to watch in that that bronze open but otherwise you're looking at you know a Ricky Nauman or a, a Toft Jorgensen to, to go really well in that tournament so that's the Nordic Cup but I've talked about it with a couple of those players there Lithuania they had two events this past weekend the Lithuania Open and the Kaunas Open the first one was the Lithuania Open 150 men in all and it was quite a really impressive number that in uh, Kaunas and the, it was quite funny. The winner of the men's event was Dutchman Alexander Merckx. Now, Alexander was the runner-up in this event three years ago. Came back to play this year, held in a different city, but got to the final once again, and this time won it to win his first ranking title. And strangely, became the first Dutch winner of a ranking event in 2022, which, given their sort of dominance and prevalence on this tour in the past, it's quite a surprise that it's taken us this long in the year for that to happen. In the final, Alexander played really well against Aaron Turner. Aaron wasn't at his best, if truth be told. Alexander took out a couple of big ton-plus finishes early on, with 4-0 up in a race to five. Aaron put, got one leg on the board with a ton finish, but couldn't make a dent in the next leg. Alexander going out in 18 to win 5-1. The Women's Lithuania Open was won by Margaret Sutton. She overcame some real double trouble in the first leg. I think it was 67 darts in the end, something like that, uh, to beat Egla Galdekaita for one. That's Maggie's second title of the year after her win at the Reykjavik International Games back in February. And she looked on course for a title double the following day in the Counters Open when she got to the final, but 
She was denied by Latvia's Christine Mikus, who won 4-3 in that final. Uh, the men's Kaunas Open, there was a Middlesex winner in that, though, because a friend of the show, John Scott, came through to win his second title of the year. Uh, John's been having some hand issues recently, but when we spoke, we had a little chat last week, he told me he was really looking forward to, to Lithuania and he was feeling back to his best, and he proved that. Got a quarterfinal on the, the Saturday, lost to Brian Locken, and then on Sunday, won the title without dropping a leg in the knockout rounds. Uh, Dennis Nilsson did miss a few darts at doubles in the final, but John capitalised, played at some really good stuff, 80-plus average in the end, and won the final 5-0. Um, so good to see John get that win, moves him up in the rankings a bit as well, and makes up for the issues he's had recently at the events in Denmark and Wales. So that's uh, good stuff for him. There was one other event this past weekend over in Australia, in Queensland. That was the Sunshine State Classic, and the two event winners were two of Australia's best. Raymond Smith played his first WDF event of the year and won the men's, dominated as per. Uh, he didn't drop any legs in the group stage, posted a number of high 90-plus averages, and then won the final really comfortably, 6-2, against Tony Shreve. Uh, Tony was a first-time finalist. Didn't look like he was going to get to the final when he lost a couple of games in the group stage, but you know beat what was in front of him in the knockout round and played really well in the semi-finals to beat Peter Machin, who... Peter had won the previous Australian ranking event, so he now sits top of the, the rankings in Australia. The Women's Sunshine State Classic was won by Tori Kewish. It was her first trip to, to an event in Australia this year since getting back from the World Championships. And she was, you know, top draw as per. She really is the woman to beat down there. She didn't drop any legs until the semi-finals when she beat Kathleen Martin 5-3 and then beat Lynn Morrison 6-3 in the final. Amanda Locke, who was on the show a little while ago, she got to the quarterfinals, so that extends her lead in the regional rankings. But with some higher-graded tournaments coming up, I think the next one's silver. There's a few more silvers to come. You would think Tory's going to start motoring and start heading towards the top of that table. But you know Amanda's going to be pushing her hard, and she has got a little bit of a head start. So we'll wait and see. Touched on, Obviously, I touched on the... The Nordic Cup, there is one more event coming up this weekend. That's the bronze-graded Oregon Open in the USA. Uh, David Fatum, the Scorpion, and Lisa Tyler are the defending champions there. Hopefully, we'll get a better turnout for that one this time. Last year, it was sort of at the end of the year with the World Championship places already decided, more or less. So did, they didn't have the best turnout, but hopefully it's a bit stronger this time round. But that's all for this week's show. Big thank you to David and Hallie for their time and to you for listening. Your support is always greatly appreciated. There's no episode for the next couple of weeks after this one as I'm off on my holidays. Uh, but I'll be back uh, in June to recap stuff like the Swiss Open, the Dutch Open and whatever else is going on in the world of WDF and amateur darts. Uh, but in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Inside the WDF. You can like the Facebook page, Inside the WDF. And you can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.